Hello everyone, before we start the review, I just want to acknowledge that this is the first recording we've done uh, since the invasion of Ukraine by Russian forces. Um, I just want to say that the conflict is on our minds. We are really disturbed and worried about what's going on in the world and our hearts go out to the Ukrainian people. Um, if anybody listening wants to do something to help but isn't sure how you could consider donating some money to the red cross or the the dec the disasters emergency committee both of which have dedicated uh, ukraine appeals i'll put links in the show notes okay enjoy the review Welcome to our first mini review episode. Today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Kirsty Warrow. Hello, Kirsty. Hi. And I am TD Velasquez, but you can call me Dan. This is one of the little episodes that I suggested we might drop in between our big monthly episodes. And in this case, it's a review of one particular film, a fairly recent movie that's just arrived on Blue Way. Blue Way? Blue Way. <laughs> Uh, yes. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to edit any of that. It's just arrived on Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Uh, Joe Badon's 2020 movie, Sister Tempest. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Kirsty, I, I invited you to watch it. Uh, unfortunately, Ian and Stella weren't able to watch it, and Stella's in fact got COVID. Oh, Stella. <laughs> yeah, so we hope she feels better soon. Um, but you and I were able to yeah. watch it. Um, it's a difficult movie to sum up in, in, yeah. in a, a brief um, <laughs> a brief span of words. Would you like to have a go, or shall I? I well, I mean, my, my, I think my my summing up of it would be sort of a fittingly surreal concoction of descriptors. <laughs> Well, um, yes. Okay. So, I mean, in terms of its horror credential, it's sort of a cannibal tale. That's probably uh, sort of. Sort yes, of. I mean, it does have. I think we can be honest and say yeah. it's not a. It's not. You wouldn't call it a horror film. It's not frightening, no. No. and it does play on and include yeah. certain genre elements. Yeah. Yeah, Not yeah. only one of the characters is basically a vampire or maybe a cannibal, but yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also a number of sequences which um, are like uh, basically a parody of, of Japanese kaiju kind mm-hmm. of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has a few things which will appeal to, to the horror cognoscenti, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But, but that's it is not playing within that genre really no. it, it's um 
it's it's yeah a kind of surrealist kind of dream logic-y kind of piece with sort of dashes of giallo <laughs> yes oh that's it as well it has some yeah. very uh, argento lighting yeah. type scenes and, yeah, and stuff yeah. um yes i mean I, I shall play some sections of it but i'm not sure how much sense that they will make <laughs> um and in a way i'm uh, i'm reluctant to, to give away too much about the movie <laughs> I, don't, I don't do you know, i don't think we can have a discussion about this film and it be something that's totally spoiler free and i don't think that actually matters okay well i think you're right <laughs> anyone listening to this who then goes and watches the film will feel in any way that our discussion spoils it because <laughs> i think that this is very much a film where you know that you know the kind of viewer of the film um is going to have a very singular experience anyway and that experience might not be the same as your your experience of watching or indeed my experience of watching it yes i think that you could describe anything that happens in the film and the likelihood that the way the person listening to you imagines it being the same way that it happens in the film is quite small yeah um so let's have a listen to to a few clips and um and then we'll we'll talk about the movie um sure. For, for a brief re review kind of way, it's just me kind of a half an hour chat. Um, just to say whether we enjoyed it and whether we recommend other people check it out. As I say, it's on Blu-ray at the moment. I'm going to show you something new tonight. Something ethereal, something trippy, something you haven't ever seen before. May I present to you... that was just a little taste of Sister Tempest, uh, director Joe Baden's extraordinary feature which is described as a surrealist dark comedy and also as a kitschy chaotic family melodrama that turns into a surrealist science fiction body horror. So um, that's a lot. Uh, the movie stars Callie Russell, Linnea Gregg, Holly Bonney and Alex Stage and won Best Feature at numerous film festivals, uh, including Lausanne Underground Film Festival, Stuff Film Festival, and Sin City Horror Fest. Uh, it's just been released on Blu-ray and rental streaming via Darkside Releasing, and if, following listening to our review, you're quite intrigued to check out the movie, there'll be links in the show notes uh, through which you can order the Blu-ray or rent the film on streaming. So, um, our thoughts then.
Well, I think I'll I'll just start off by saying I I quite loved this movie, Kirsty. I didn't expect to be saying that. Um, it reminded me. In fact, it's kind of taken us full circle because uh, right back to the first episode of this podcast that you and I recorded, because it reminded me more than anything of uh, Annabella's The Love Witch. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm, I'm connection as well. <laughs> and like Annabella, the director, Joe Baden, kind of got his fingers all over the production. You know, he's involved in, in the writing, he's involved in the music, the design. Um, he's in the film. Um, and it's, I, I think that the difficulty with it is that I don't want to a patronize it by giving it some label like it's a non mainstream or it's an alternative film or, or an art film, but at the same time, I want to manage the expectations of, of the viewer because it, it, it is not a conventional film. And, um, you know, it can get your back up at the start uh, because uh, it seems, how can I say this? At the beginning, it kind of seems almost like it's obviously a low-budget production, and that's fine. But at the beginning, it kind of gives an impression of we've got very little money, so we'll just do anything. And there's quite a lot of scenes with... with, um, uh, kind of clearly apparent artifice going on, and it's mm. kind of arch, and it's it's clearly making fun of itself from the start, and that's not to everybody's taste. But no. for me, after the first ten minutes or so, it settled down, and I really started to enjoy it. And I think the the reason I enjoyed it, I think, is because nearly every scene in it was surprising. There was something that made me laugh because something just happened that I was completely not expecting. And it, it is anchored by uh, a pretty strong central performance as well, I think, which mm-hmm. is um, uh, the lead actress is called uh, Carly Russell, who's kind of like a young Frances McDormand, I think. And I think she's mm-hmm. She's quite good. Uh, and the basic, there is a kind of story. Yeah. Um, it's difficult it's a to... story, but yes. No, but, but it's difficult to ascertain kind of the, the literal yeah. uh, level of it. Yeah. But there's, a, there's a thematic story about basically two sisters at the start of the movie. The, well, the, the opening shot of the film is the two young sisters at their parents' funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the idea is that the you know as they grow grow up together, the older one looks after the younger one, um, and then uh, as we move forward in time, the older sister, Carly Russell, as I think her name is Anna, yeah. um, she kind of becomes the, the the central protagonist, and although lots of different strange. Uh, contradictory, thematic, cross-generic things happen around her and she changes, almost seems to be moving between uh, dimensions or between genres, uh, between types of film. She's always the central point pretty much throughout. Um, And I think that 
I, that focus kept it quite enjoyable for me. Um, and um, even though the younger sister is, is not always there, the theme of the relationship between the sisters is kind of um, central to the film. But it's not just that. There's a heck of a lot going on and it's, it's hectic and, uh, and crazy. And I found it very funny. Um, so, so yeah, I really enjoyed it actually. Yeah. Um, and I, I found it strangely moving as well um, in a way that I, that I wasn't expecting. Uh, I've talked quite a lot about it. Why don't you, you um, give us some thoughts, Kirsty? It's so difficult to know where to start really is, I mean, uh, you know, I'm glad that you made the connection with Le- Love Witch because I think that it definitely, from a production kind of, um, you know, design point of view, definitely has a sort of deliberate kitschiness and a kind of, you know, a very rich kind of colour palette that, you know, kind of feel, felt, reminded me very strongly of uh, The Love Witch. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't think it was quite as well executed as The Love Witch kind of consistently. Um but no, I, I think that the approach in this movie is much more scattershot. I mean, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the Love Witch had a very focused kind of theme yeah. that they, they were clearly going for. And um, with this film, I felt that it knew what it was going for, but I didn't always. Yeah, yeah. But it did feel like it had some kind of purpose, but it no, wasn't absolutely. always clear to me. I, Sorry, Kirsty, though, you were going to say something. I really enjoyed the kind of bits that were, you know, kind of in the kind of black, you know, kind of black space the kind of studio where that kind of really great contrast between the kind of brightness and the vivid colours and the kind of blackness um the moments that it really plays into its kind of artificial um kind of aesthetic I thought really really worked um I mean I've got a whole range of different thoughts in terms of the kind of the the value for me I think I mean I I love weird shit I've always loved weird shit um and so this, you know, as soon as I saw the trailer, I thought, oh yeah, no, I'm definitely whatever this is, I'm happily, I'll happily go on whatever journey. Right. Um, and it made me, I think, it has this kind of meta quality. This as part of the narrative. And again, I'm not going to explain it too much because I'm not sure I'd get it right. But there's a sort of kind of internal camera crew. Yes. <laughs> part of it. Yeah. It sort of feels like it's kind of it's. I'm not sure if it's break. It's not breaking the fourth wall, but it's definitely pushing at the boundaries of re- re- the reality of the cinematic space that it's creating. But it very much in- made me think of. Um, I think again. I think on the the podcast we've talked about. Um, or my my have a particular kind of affection for uh, Noah Hawley's uh, Legion television series, oh, yeah. which is bonkers on all sorts of fronts, and it reminded me very much of that in terms of tone. But obviously, Legion does it with more money, um, and a kind of overarching, perhaps. Although I want to, I'd like to say Legion has a clearer narrative. But I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> okay. um, it. Also reminded me of um, Lou Benoit's uh, Large Door, which is this kind of surrealist um, kind of feature where everything is kind of very dream logic-y, but it, it, it's clearly a bank, Large Door is kind of clearly a bank, kind of, kind of sexual repression and kind of Catholicism and, you know, kind of the bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. And it felt at times that this film was kind of a little bit plain, not, I don't know, there's, there's clearly something quite gendered going on. I'm not sure how I feel about the genderedness of it, but there's, you know, I think there's probably layers that you could read into it. I've not done that. I don't know. I'm still processing it. Um, it also reminded me of um, Jodorowsky's Holy Mountain. Oh, you know, some of that, again, bizarre imagery, lots of colour. 
um, and also colour of pomegranates, kind of, you know, so again, kind of well-constructed, beautiful kind of images that are surrealist and, you know, and often a little bit challenging. Um, um, I then also kind of thought about the, you know, there's a, the, is it Raw? The kind of French film that they kind of... Yeah, the Julie DeCarno film. Yeah, yeah, film. yeah. So it sort of kind of made me think a little bit, but only kind of because we end up with like characters eating meat and kind of, you know, like there's, you know, and also kind of female kind of groups. Um, yeah. And then I've got things like, you know, they're kind of, we're using this kind of weird fairy tale kind of lexicon as well. So you have one character who, is called Gingerbread Man. Well, she's called Gingerbread Man. Yeah, I think that was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. and so that's kind of um, like, oh, okay, where are we going with this? I think that um, was one of the first things that made me laugh. It's yeah, yeah. really silly. There's also, by the way, there's another character in the movie called Christopher Tidal Wave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's um, uh, it, it's considered a bad cliche to have silly names in comedy, but it, but in a certain context like this where, where i think the film has told you from the start that none of this is to be taken literally no no, no absolutely not and I, was, and I thought it was interesting that they started to kind of weave in those you know kind of elements that sort of spoke to, a little bit more to the kind of mythic non-literal readings um like i said the kind of you know giallo suspiria stuff is you know you know kind of fairly kind of evident and and this is where i start to kind of get in one thing that one criticism of the movie is that it does feel quite male gazy in a very giallo way. I was going to, well, my thing that I was going to, I wanted to ask you about is that, yeah, I think it definitely feels male gazy. However, I did think that it was quite a non lascivious male gaze, i.e., it's like all the women are, are, are very, uh, tend to be very beautiful and are photographed to be very beautiful, mm-hmm. but they're not really objectified. Um, maybe that's only because there aren't because of the nature of the story that there aren't really characters around to objectify them. But I, I, I think, oh, I don't know. There's, I, for me, that there's, and I don't know how to kind of explain it clearly, but it sort of felt like there's a sort of kind of libidinal undertone in the film. Okay, kind of you know discussion of of eggs and there's you know kind of reproductive imagery and then you know kind of lead actress gets naked towards the end gets into a bath of blood again nice bodies because it doesn't it... yeah she do, yeah but again she um, does get naked but um yeah, yeah, i don't no, think no, you see but, anything yeah it's in what, a, very much in a long shot and no, yeah, yeah but i think the what i don't mind that per se i think the thing that sort of I found a bit more challenging was the fact that they and again it's very much kind of I think a symptom of or at least um, a product of the type of film that it is that it sort of felt that all of these female characters that but particularly the two sisters and then and Ginger were you know they were kind of quite distant characters I felt like you you know mm. you, you kind of you you kind of connected the performance um, uh, of, of Kelly Russell. Um, I I didn't. I, okay. I felt very much like they were, you know, there wasn't, they weren't emotionally alive to me or kind of have sort of agency in a way that I felt like I was looking at, you know, uh, a character that I could root for. They were very much, for me, part of the kind of the overall design of the film. Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, I suppose that's fair. Um, 
I I don't think I really rooted for. Well, no, I, I I mean I think in order to root for a character, you have to kind of understand the the world that they're in and the challenges they face. And I didn't do that, but yeah. I did feel some sympathy towards uh, Anna, um, especially at the end when when he, it's kind of revealed what's what has been. Uh, bothering her psychically and what mm. therefore what the, the kind of meaning might be behind, behind all yeah, the, yeah. the metaphors that we've been going through mm. um but uh in a way um i think the strength of the performance is more about um being a locus that help that holds up the framework of all this this yeah. crazy stuff and uh, i mean i do think for the most part the movie worked for me as uh, a comedic piece mm. um and, and like a bizarre confection yeah. and and therefore i don't think it required a great deal of emotional investment um however uh i did find it weirdly moving at the end although not really knowing yeah. why and i think the music had a great part part mm. to play in that um yeah, I think for me, I mean, you know, I, I think you're right in terms of saying that kind of emotional investment isn't necessarily what this film kind of tries to elicit or what you need as a viewer, but it is, you know, kind of two hours long. Yes. But, you know, you're going to be carried along by something. And I feel like there's something for me that I got carried on along by was the kind of fabric of the kind of references that I felt that it was making or... Um, and and just the idea of it as a sort of an aesthetic kind of cinematic curiosity, and I'm not sure if, you know, I kind of on on one level when the, when the narrative started to make more sense and there was a kind of clarity um, or a little bit more of a kind of clarity around what was happening to Anna and and you know kind of the sort of kind of realization, then everything else sort of started to feel like it was making a little bit more sense. I don't think that was entirely cohesive, but I also don't not sure that the film necessarily needed to make sense of itself in a narrative way because mm. it's clearly playing in non-narrative traditions. Um no. I wondered whether or not it was it was just sort of slightly kind of that was there as a way of sort of appeasing the idea that and you know, an audience is trying to follow a story, or you know, or not. But well, well, I think that you know, when you're on in a, a, the low budget filmmaking arena, it's probably a, a significant challenge to kind of address yeah. a tight story because the tighter you make your story, the more the seams show. Yeah. Uh, whereas um, uh, taking a more kind of fractured approach can kind of hide that. So there are things in the movie that. Um, well, I'll give an example. There's there's a scene where Anna and her sort of boyfriend Jeffrey are walking along, having a conversation, but they're in two different locations at once. Yeah, but it's the same scene, and and there was no way, and it just keeps cutting between one location mm. and the other, and there was no way literally that I could think what does that, that make sense? How, what does that mean? Uh, but I feel like it felt very purposeful, mm. uh, and the whole film was doing things like that it yeah, yeah. wasn't just that bit no so um and there's great use of like stock footage and found footage and things that is just kind of cutting the action yeah. that that kind of comments on what's going on or, or thematically echoes it and it's usually done with a, a, a great deal of pace and energy and it's well supported by yeah. the sound design and the music 
Yeah. So I felt I mean, that, that all helped it flow along. I will say, yes, it is a very long film for what it is. And I didn't watch it in one sitting, did you? Yes, I did. Okay. So, you, you, yeah, whereas with me, I watched it in about three different chunks. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. That, that probably contributed to the energy level. So did mm-hmm. you find it was a bit of a slog at points? Um, much like the film, I want to say both yes and no. Um, okay. In that, you know, I think like kind of just trying to figure out where you are as a viewer in relation to this thing and what is this thing doing and, you know, kind of, is it telling me a story? Is it not telling me a story? And what bits am I meant, how, you know, how am I meant to read this? All that kind of stuff. Like that takes, it's, it's a little bit like, um, like, you know, the first time you see a Shakespeare play and you're, you've got to, you know, kind of tune your ear and you have had this sort of period of, you know, kind of acclimation that you need to go through mm. with it. Um, that I found quite challenging. So right to the first 25, 30 minutes, I was just like, I'm, 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 not, I'm enjoying this, but I kind of want it to make more sense because, you know, we're, not, you know, we're conditioned, aren't we, to want a narrative and a you know, kind of clear sort of sense of journey, yeah. um, even though I like bonkers stuff. And then I think at a certain point, um, I think actually when, when, when Ginger turned up, I kind of went, oh, okay. <laughs> well I just I'm with it now like do what you want and I kind of enjoyed the experimentalness of it and the kind of inconsistency of it and the you know the kind of the you know the artifice Mm. um and the operaticness of it and it was you know became very kind of expressionist and I started to worry less about what it meant and what it was the story that was perhaps trying to tell and just sort of enjoy the kind of journey of the kind of technique of it yeah Um, and I think it's you know for two hours and on the you know for for low budget production I think it it actually you know kind of it's very impressive that they managed to do everything that that film does. Yes, and because, the- you know it is there's a lot going on in it. Um, you know one of the things that I was thinking about when I was watching it is the kind of more recent kind of um, American indie films that I've seen that clearly seem to be on a lower budget that are kind of of similar genres. And I and I thought about two films. One is um, the Vast of Night, which is the, oh, yeah. know, the 1950s alien movie, which, you know, kind of does very well with the low budget because it, you know, keeps everything very, very contained with, the, you know, kind of minimal, you know, everything's off screen um, and, you know, kind of very minimal cast. Um, and then I saw another one recently called Dave Made a Maze. All right. I don't know version. that one. Uh, it's a sort of Michelle Gondry-esque kind of um, labyrinth story where a guy makes a, a maze out of uh, a labyrinth out of cardboard boxes in, in in his apartment and then it becomes an actual kind of house of leaves um, okay. you know, kind of labyrinth that people get lost in and there's a minotaur and everything's made out of cardboard. Right. <laughs> that tells a kind of, conv- you know, and but again, you can kind of see the cheapness of it in the, the cardboard design and it's, you know, it's kind of, sense of humour about itself this I felt you know kind of wasn't either of those two things because it was just sort of above and beyond it you know you said you didn't want to call it non you know kind of non-mainstream or art film but I think I think you kind of have to you know that you know that's where it where it's drawing from and where it sits Mm. you know yes it draws on kind of genre tropes you know, you talked about kind of kaiju, we've talked about kind of giallo, there are kind of horror elements, also science fiction elements in it. You know, it's drawing a lot on the kind of surrealist tradition. Um, and I think it's, it's for me, I'm absolutely fine kind of labelling it as such. And, you know, for a lot of people, um, that's not your thing. And so don't watch this movie. But if it is your thing and you're in, you know, you, 
like yeah. to get offer something a bit different, then you know, give it a go. I mean, potentially have a lot of wine or whatever else floats your boat. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I would say food. so. Maybe my appreciation of, of this kind of non-mainstream stuff has always been uh, very unsophisticated because I tend to just like it if it makes me laugh. Um, and uh, that's why I like Peter Greenaway films, mm. um, for instance, uh, and that this worked for me on that level. And yeah, and, and it probably is fine to, to use those labels. Um, I, I have a bit of a resistance to it, but I do think that if uh, recommending this film, you have to at least manage the, the uh, listener's expectation yeah. and say it is not what you might be used to. Um, it is also not for everybody, clearly. No, no. Um, you know, and I think one th- one thing I'm kind of reflecting on is is in, in a way that how this film, uh, and apologies to, to, to Joe, who hopefully will listen to this, um, as we're kind of, you know, talking about his, his film in, in, you know, kind of uh, positive and hyperbolic ways, is that I was wondering about my kind of snobbery towards kind of art film in general, that because this is American, because it's low budget, that I was thought, oh, maybe, you know, is it just it's trying to be art film? Um, because for me, so much of my experience of that stuff is European. Mm, sure. <laughs> and... Uh, so that's you know that's that's a kind of you know a kind of misconception that I had to kind of deal with when I was watching it that idea of that you know it can't it can't be but you know yeah. I remember that one of my favourite kind of surrealist films uh, my demo's meshes of the afternoon is American so shut up Kirsty and I, I, I thought about my Duran while I was watching this as well so you know um good point uh no I I really enjoyed it I think it's really recommendable I think um. Yeah, it, it's outside the existing kind of mainstream genres. For instance, you know, you wouldn't look at this film and go, "Oh, Joe Biden could he, he should make a great action movie or or whatever." You know, it doesn't fit into any category really. But it really seems to know what it is. Yeah. Um, one thing I noted was was that I thought all the performances were really good. In in that they seem to. You know, they didn't. The actors didn't look like they didn't know where they were. They they were some. They were delivering sort of arch, but very purposeful performances yeah. at all at all times. I thought, and everything kind of worked to a consistent tone. Yeah. Um, so there are lots of little moments as well that I thought, gosh, I'd actually, I'd like, I'd really like to see like where that character goes, or you know, kind of what their their deal is. So the guy. Um, oh, I'm not sure who who it is, but there's a guy who kind of turns up and he's addressing the camera, and then he's oh, like in a workshop. Yeah, the guy um, with the walking stick. Yeah, yeah. He seems like a little bit of a kind of god camp kind of surrogate, maybe I don't know. Yeah, he he has the monologue over the opening credits, yeah, doesn't yeah, he? So I you might thought... go into it thinking that he's going to play much larger yeah. role in it than he actually so does. Yeah, what's his what's his deal? And I like to, you know, kind of a little bit more time. Um, and then also, I just remembered as well the kind of the the is it, uh, again. I, I, I'm aware that I think part of the reason why I'm kind of it, making connections between this and the and our stories, the kind of the 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 way in which you use kind of Christian imagery in particular, but the kind of almost as sort of like Jesus, the kind of glowing Jesus character. 
So there's a car crash and then there's the guy on the side of the road who's covered in blood and then, you know, Anna's kind of lamenting the fact that he's dead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of guy who turns up and he's glowing. And that, that as a, you know, obviously in a way it's kind of visual effects and, you know, digital mon- monkeying. But I thought that was a kind of really startling kind of image. In yeah. The film. Oh, there's lots of um, really nice and remarkable weird visuals. There's also a lot of kind of stuff that you could think of as, as being quickly thrown together, kind of strange costume decisions. And um, But as it goes on, there is the tend to be, there's a consistency to the use of those elements, which makes it seem less thrown together. Yeah. But certainly uh, there are, this is why I say the first kind of few minutes of the film uh, can be kind of, of off-putting. Uh, mm-hmm. What I, I would um, strongly suggest anyone does is give it at least twenty minutes. Yeah, let let it really kind of show itself before you you make a snap judgment about it. Yeah, because um, I, I I do think that um, it's worth going through and there's that there's fun to to be had from it. Maybe it would be better to watch it in a few sections like I did. Uh, yeah. Again, Peter Greenway always used to say that he didn't mind if people didn't watch his films all at once because it was more about the moments yeah. um, and and the kind of collage of the thing. Yeah. Um, and 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 this kind of reminded me of that. But um, yeah. well, uh, you know, we we've been talking about it for half an hour or so, so I think that that's <laughs> that's all we can really say. But yeah. I, I think it's a recommendation from me. Um, mm-hmm. Would you agree cautiously then, Kirsty? Yeah, and just, you know, kind of not to summarise, but, you know, as you were talking there, I just thought, you know, I'd actually really like to see this in a cinema. Because mm. I think, you know, the kind of experience of a really good projection and kind of, you know, kind of dark and dream and, and, and you know, lots of other people sort of willing to kind of go on that journey would be a really interesting experience. Yeah, I, I think, you know what, there's a lot of inventive uh, film that's certainly happened in the last couple of years that because of the global situation has not made it to a big screen and it would be really good to see it because I haven't I think you know low budget filmmakers these days are doing very inventive things with high definition video um, which we're maybe used to seeing on our laptop screens or whatever on YouTube videos but but we're we're not used to seeing in in a cinematic environment and that and I would like to have that experience actually because that's what makes the art form what it is. So, okay, so that's two thumbs up then. Yeah. <laughs> All right, nice one. Well, that concludes our first mini review episode. Thank you so much, Kirsty. Oh, thank you for for um yeah, kind of sending this my way. I'm glad I'm glad that I've seen it. I feel definitely rich, right? <laughs> oh, brilliant. I, I I feel the same. So so fantastic. Um, okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll well. In a couple of weeks, we'll have our, our, our monthly major episode and uh, maybe some more mini review episodes in due course as well. Take care and stay well. Bye bye. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Kirsty Warrow and TD Velasquez. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. 
All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at And Now Podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash And Now Podcast. And now the podcast stops.